A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey everyone, quick disclaimer before we dive into today's episode, which we hope you enjoy. We were recording with a couple of technical glitches while we were on the road, so you're going to hear my mic sounding just a bit strange for today's show. Hopefully, however, the content is solid and can speak for itself. Uh, We can't wait to share the story of Project Azorian with you. So, Check it out, and as always, thank you for tuning in. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Noel. Our compatriot Matt is under the weather, but sends his uh, regards and will be returning soon. So uh, give him some internet love. They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Whether it's your first time tuning into this show or whether you are a longtime listener, welcome. And I think we can all admit that world governments get up to shady business. It's just part of the job. Governments are always on the up and up, right? Well, you know, that's that's their official story. Uh, but other people, most of the voting public would say being sketchy and secretive is just an inherent part of being a government. And it's not always it's not always necessarily evil. 
It's just that in some cases, you have to have secrecy. And in some of those cases, these secrets are fully or partially exposed over time and stuff that was called a conspiracy theory turns out to be true. And then also the true story might remain hidden forever. And that's what we're talking about today, Noel. It's a real-life conspiracy straight from the freezing heart of the Cold War. It's a tale, according to Uncle Sam, that is now fully out in the open. But as you will find, we are not sure that's the case. We'll see why in a minute. But without further ado, this is the story of a little something called Project Azorian. Here are the facts. Ah, let's go back to the 60s, 1960s. Cool, Daddy-O. Is that that how they talked in the 60s, or is that more the 50s? Uh, You know what? I feel like there were probably people saying cool, Daddy-O in the 60s. They were probably still saying That was a holdover. It's kind of like, you know, 1979 versus 1980. It didn't immediately become the 80s. There was some holdover, you know, 70s uh, lingo that stuck around. Um, But, yeah, we're in the 60s, swinging. Things are happening. Submarines, kind of a big deal. The height of military tech would allow you to evade tons of what are called countermeasures in terms of being detected, in terms of being, you know, eliminated by the enemy and sneaking, you know, into enemy lines to do surveillance, all kinds of things. Submarines were your best bet. You could observe things without uh, the usual intervention of pesky land or air forces, you know, none of those under the sea. Right. Just little crabs and sea creatures, you know, playing in a jazz band. Right. Yeah. Under the sea. Calypso. Right. That's Darling, it. It's better. Yeah. Uh, now, that's a very good point. But this is not to say that submarines were by any means perfect. Uh, any number of things could result in their detection or their destruction. And as of now, it is impossible to know just how many people have met their deaths entombed in the watery graves of sunken submarines, which is a terrible way to go, especially if you have claustrophobia and a fear of drowning. This is the world into which the K-129 emerges. It's a submarine. The K-129 is part of what NATO calls the Gulf II class. It's a ballistic missile sub with a diesel electric power system. There's an important distinction here because if you hear about this story, you'll often hear K-129 described as a nuclear sub, but it is not nuclear powered. It is a diesel electric vehicle, or it was, capable of carrying nuclear weapons. Not the same thing, but still very, very dangerous. Completed in 1959, and it was patrolling the seas successfully on a routine basis until March of 1968. And that's when Soviet naval officials concluded something had gone sideways. Mm-hmm. Sideways, like that wine movie with Paul uh, Giamatti. You know, Remember I that? still don't like that one. You don't like it? I really like it. It's, I mean, it's, they're very unpleasant characters. <laughs> There's no question of that. None of them have particularly redeeming qualities, but I, I always did. I, I enjoyed that filmmaker, Alexander Payne, either way. But yeah, you're right. They're all a bunch of bunch of movie about a bunch of wine jerks is what Sideways is. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a real debacle uh, at sea. Like any other deployed vessel, the K-129 had a regular schedule of check-ins. So it was about mid-March of 1968 when uh, K-129 missed not one, but two of these scheduled radio check-ins, you know, with uh, commanding officers or, you know, HQ or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
time went on, the urgency of the communications to K-119 increased significantly, including like straight up orders, you know, commands to break radio silence that went unacknowledged. Um, After nearly two months of silence, so by the third week of March, the Soviet government considered K-129 to be missing, maybe not fully lost yet, because they, you know, they first have to launch a large-scale search and rescue mission in the North Pacific from Kamchatka and Vladivostok, uh, the kind of thing that you really can't cover up for too long. Right. Not the search effort, because the streets, or in this case, the seas, are watching. Streets are watching. So Uncle Sam has eyes on this and instantly knows something is up. Because both sides of the Cold War are like recently, are are like exes who have recently split. They're obsessively tracking each other. And it didn't take long for U.S. intelligence to say, hey, wait, these ships and these subs are deviating from their normal patterns of patrol. Why? What are, why, what's, what gives? What are they doing? And eventually they concluded, hey, this is exactly what we would do if we lost a submarine somewhere. So let's get the boffins and the eggheads on it. And they were the, sorry, the boffins. Yeah. <laughs> What's the boffins? a boffin? Is that like I'm a puffin? watching a lot of British stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, dude. Boffins are the, um, are like the, the nerds. It's so the, the, the the, the, perhaps, perhaps wonk adjacent. Mm-hmm. You got your wonks yes. and your boffins and your, your eggheads. Mm-hmm. Just so. Your yeah, so, Got it. Yes. Yeah. And so they said, okay, let's, let's go back to our scientists, our researchers, and let's see what SIGINT they have or signals intelligence. At the time, and even now, the U.S. had what's called a hydrophone network, underwater surveillance that is meant to detect noises and irregularities across the globe, whether those are whale songs, whether they're sonar, whether they're underwater explosions. And they said, okay, boffins, go back through your records uh, around this time and see if there's anything out of the ordinary that kind of correlates with the deviation in Soviet patrol patterns. And they found it. They reviewed the recordings and They based on the guesswork of those intelligence experts watching the change in naval patterns, and they found a record of a mysterious underwater implosion on March 8th, 1968, and they were even able to isolate it to an area of just like about five nautical miles. I think every time we talk about underwater naval implosions or explosions, I always recommend the Ridiculous History episode that we did um, about the Hunley with Rachel Lance, who is like not only an expert in underwater implosions and explosions, she is like the world's most specific nerd in that department. Yes. Uh, I love it. She's incredible. She wrote a book about it and actually made it really exciting. The Hunley is, is a, you know, was like, what was it? A civil war submarine where I had like Flintstones pedals kind of, it was definitely not the level of tech that we're talking about today, but um, she goes into some great detail about what uh, an underwater implosion does to like viscera, you know, and like yeah. the, the body. It's Very hellish. It's hellish. Also, shout out to Rachel for uh, for busting one of the biggest myths in action movies. If you are in an explosion 
that is powerful enough to knock you in the air and back, you don't get up and say, I'm getting too old for this. No, <laughs> you, no. you are, you are foobar. So the U.S. discovers this. And if we go with the earlier thesis, Noel, that governments are always on the up and up, they would have told the Soviets, Hey, we think we found your sub. Of course, they didn't do that. They quietly waited for the Soviet Navy to give up searching. The Soviets were also, by the way, searching uh, in the wrong spot, as we'll come to find. So the Soviet forces, instead, after a long, harrowing search, instead of finding anything, they quietly said the K-129 is lost, along with all 98 souls aboard. And this was uh, delightful to the U.S. They were already just as quietly working on something else, a grand conspiracy at sea, unlike anything that had ever happened before. They wanted to steal an entire submarine from the depths of the ocean without letting anyone, including the American public, know a thing about it. You sly bastards. You sly American dogs. You. Wait, that's us. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an opportunity. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's also not just sly, but it's ambitious. So this is where the conspiracy begins. Here's where it gets crazy. What we should say is this is where the conspiracy we know about begins, because the CIA was acutely aware of the treasure trove under those frigid waters in the middle of the Pacific. And as far as they were concerned at first, Price was no object, but there were problems. Like according to their calculations, the sub sank at a 40.1 degrees north latitude, 179.9 degrees east longitude. If you pull that up on like Google Earth or Google Maps or whatever, you're going to see that is in the middle of nowhere in the North Pacific. It's like Cthulhu country. It's the closest, like for reference, if you look at Hawaii, it's about 1,500 nautical miles northwest of Hawaii. And nautical miles are not quite the same as a mile for landlubbers. As the crow flies? It's, uh, it's it, you know, let's say as the crow swims. And I'm sure a crow would be pissed if they had to swim. But uh, it's I'm sure it's they'd like, make a good go of it, you know, them being so smart try. and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they try. They're smart enough, maybe, that they would eventually build a boat. Who knows? <laughs> they would, uh, uh, if you were a crow in a boat and you were looking at a nautical mile, it's a little more than a regular mile because it's based on the longitude and latitude coordinates. Um, so it's a slightly different calculation. It's 1.15 land miles. Anyway, point is, in the middle of nowhere. This sub sinks in the middle of nowhere, and they know that it sinks deep. When we say deep, we mean very deep, 4,880 meters or 16,000 feet into the depths. This thing is lost. So they decide that they, being the U.S., decide that since it's obvious the Russians don't know where this sub is, they can be first to the gate. They can try to find it. So they send out another submarine, right? One of their own. Yep. Uh, just for the halibut. Um, they sent out the USS halibut. I'm sorry. I, I, every time I see that word, I have to say that joke. I do. Uh, I think so, too. I did a, uh, I 
back in Boy Scouts, we used to do uh, a night of plays, which just descended into pun-based sketch comedy. Yes. And uh, we got in trouble one time because we wrote a sketch about a uh, a serial killer who kept calling over people from like a, a fish delivery service. Uh-huh. Uh, and murdering them. And the punchline is, you know, one, the last guy at the fish place is like, wait, you killed everyone who worked. Why? And the guy shrugs and says, for the halibut, our adults Boom. were not amused. Yeah, it's this classic. They'll never, never get old. I do have to say, though, it seems like a really wimpy name for a submarine. I find mm-hmm. the halibut to be like one of the more bland and innocuous fishes of the sea. Why not like the USS Tiger Shark or something? The USS Halibut does. I don't really fear the USS Halibut. Um, but it was deployed from Pearl Harbor. Yes, that Pearl Harbor in Hawaii to where they believed the sub wreckage would be found. Uh, and this um, operation was dubbed Sand and after three weeks of searching, the halibut did, in fact, find uh, that wreckage and took a lot of photographs uh, of the K-129, which is what convinced Nixon and his staff to take to the high seas pirate style, you know, rattling their sabers. And they all donned eye patches and uh, striped shirts. Yes. Yo, ho, ho, indeed. So this is, you know, I love that we're pointing this out. Halibut does seem to be an innocuous name, and there there are a couple of reasons. Maybe maybe the person who got to name this sub was like the halibut is a is a proud noble fish. Uh, but but there's also a compelling argument that this submarine was partially chosen because it did sound like an ordinary run of the mill thing. We'll see why that's important later. But uh, yes, piracy on the high seas. And the president of the country uh, turns into a pirate at the behest and the urging of two guys who work closely with him, Melvin Laird and Henry Kissinger. You know him, you know him. Uh, They were the two big champions of this idea. And I just picture them pitching a sub heist to President Nixon. Somehow it worked. The U.S. starts brainstorming and they say, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to recover all the wreckage from the sub and we're going to learn more about Soviet nuclear missile technology. But just as importantly, we're going to learn about how they get away with all their sneaky codes. They wanted the cryptography. They wanted uh, the code books that Soviet uh, Soviet officials in the HQ you mentioned used to communicate with Soviet submarines and for waxing poetic. Uncle Sam said, this is an opportunity to steal the arms, the ears, and the tongue of our adversary. Gross. Yeah, gross, but that's war. <laughs> it's true. And I, I don't know. Whenever I uh, read about these kind of Soviet-U.S. tit-for-tat kind of operations, I can't not think of Dr. Strangelove and all of those incredible conversations in the war room. There's no fighting in the war room. And when he keeps uh, President Merkin Muffley in the most amazing satirical character name of all time, uh, is talking to, the, the I guess, the prime minister of Russia. He keeps like, Dimitri, oh, oh Dimitri, calm down, Dimitri. Everything is fine. Everything, ah, oh, so good. I rewatched it. It's it's fresh in my memory. It it so holds up. Wonderful yeah, film. Yeah, it's yeah, it's fantastic. It's weird you say that. I rewatched that as well. Almost whenever we're doing an episode like this. Uh, but here's the thing: those two goals we just named were maybe the primary goals. Again, according to the official story, but they certainly weren't the only ones. We're gonna 
pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive deep <laughs> uh, into dolphin the other ideas. <laughs> I wish I could make a dolphin sound. Is that it? Is that, is that a dolphin it, yeah. sound? Okay. Yeah, yeah. My voice my is too low, so you, you nailed it. <laughs> I did my level best. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, 
personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think, it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And we have returned. So there are goals within goals. There are wheels within wheels. The American forces knew that they could learn more about the Soviet sonar system and the ways that Soviet subs were able to often avoid detection from other navies. This is this is on the level of Pakistan stealing the stealth helicopter in the Osama bin Laden raid and then selling it to someone else who very much wanted to learn the mechanisms of the magic tricks. So the U.S. starts weighing pros and cons. This is very much a Dr. Strangelove situation. And they were like, pro, we're going to learn more than ever about these Soviet subs. They're very dangerous because, like we said, they can move around undetected. They can carry nuclear weapons so we could have nukes popping off the coast of California. So now we can know how to stop them. Con, this is an act of piracy uh, this could trigger World War III. Okay, everybody in the room has dealt with that. And even if we're not caught, this might get kind of expensive. It it might it you know it might be pricey. But we know the K129 is definitely there. All we have to do is figure out how to snag it without getting busted. So ultimately, whatever the minutia of their conversation was, they decided, quote, F- it, hold my beer. Let's go get this sub. <laughs> and that's that's a verbatim quote, right? From Kissinger. Well, I mean, sounds like him. Those are some foul mouthed uh, uh, bureaucrats there in Washington. They don't mince words, let me tell you. <laughs> and so, in utter secrecy, by the way, uh, no one knows about this except for a very small group of people. The company begins working on something they call Project Azorian. No one has ever at this point accomplished something like this before, much less in a top secret manner. So they have to get the CIA involved, right? And they have to have CIA level secrecy. They thought of all kinds of weird stuff before they ultimately landed on their plan. And just so the plan doesn't sound too, too crazy, I think maybe, Noel, we need to talk a little bit about their other ideas. Yeah. Yeah, they had some uh, some doozies, uh, like making a gigantic gas bubble large enough to lift the entire sub to the surface, uh, at which point they could then, you know, retrieve it. That's so like our power? Yeah, man. I don't know. It, it just sounds, to me, it sounds like magic, like something you'd see in a Disney movie when some ancient treasure is, like, levitated using, like, you know, ocean magic or whatever. Uh, I don't understand how that would work. Maybe, maybe there's a, I don't know, maybe it's a thing. It certainly seems pretty pie in the sky. And they laundry listed a bunch of other bonkers ideas before they landed on 
the least bonkers-ish idea, which is, uh, you know, building a giant mechanical claw. Who doesn't love a giant mechanical claw, Ben? Is this like sort of like what, like a claw machine, one of those rigged claw machines you'd see in an arcade, but like, you know, scaled? Pretty much exactly. Whatever other ideas they went through, at some point they said, why don't we just sort of build a claw and yoink this submarine to the surface. That's that was their idea. It's exactly like a it's exactly like one of those hanging claw games that are, yeah, in my opinion, rigged too. Uh, so Nixon approves this plan sometime in the early seventies, and the timeline's important because the ocean is a hungry, hungry hippo or a hungry, hungry place. It eats man-made things. It degrades them. And there's a clock ticking. So this means with each passing year, the integrity of that submarine is degrading. The stakes are impossibly high. They're trying to steal an entire submarine, and they have to build the technology to do it because the technology to do this doesn't exist yet. Furthermore, I thought I thought you would really enjoy this part. They need a plausible cover story to explain why a U.S. ship is out diddling around in the middle of nautical nowhere. They needed help. Luckily, they had some powerful friends, so they contact, get this, eccentric billionaire, real-life Tony Stark of the time, Howard Hughes, and they say, hey, Howie, can you do us a solid here? Can you tell everybody in America and therefore the world that, like, you're doing this, yeah. Hand hand washing enthusiast Howard Hughes, mm-hmm. uh, mason jar urinator, uh, hater Howard of uh, nail clippers. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 a character. You know, I've never seen the Aviator. Is it any good? Um, I saw it years ago. I remember seeing it. Paul, what do you think? You think it's great? Paul thinks it's great. Definitely worth a rewatch. Um, I've never seen it at all, so I, I will definitely watch it. I enjoy um, it. Also, Hughes is such a fascinating character. You know, he did so much in the world of entertainment, in aviation, and right. so on. The the Bruce Goose. Life, right. Yep. The end of his life was uh, tragic, but he already had an established relationship with the U.S. government. You can't be a billionaire in the United States and not already have a deep relationship with the government. Call me cynical. But uh, don't cynical, forget that that's, that's absolutely realistic. Uh, we don't make the rules because we are not billionaires. But uh, here's what he did. He went to the public. He said, OK, I'll, I'll do this for you, CIA, uh, and you'll just owe me a favor in the future. He went to the public and he made this weird declaration. He said, Oh, America, I'm going to start mining the bottom of the ocean floor for manganese nodules. Uh, they're little, little mineral-rich rock collections that are found on the, on the floor of the ocean. And the thing is, everybody believed them. They bought it hook, line, subclaw, and sinker. Howard Hughes was already, we have to remember, very well-known dare I say, infamous for saying very wild stuff. Like I said, Tony Stark earlier, but think of Ye, think of Kanye West. He's like Ye and Elon Musk and Tony Stark combined. I refuse to call him Ye. I won't do it. I just won't do it. Okay. Well, you gotta, I guess man's gotta have a code. <laughs> I, I'm just code, going yeah. with Ye because that's what he wants to be called. Like if you, you know, in all fairness, if you or Matt or Mission Control said, I want to go by, a crazy name. I, I would back it up if, like, if you 
if you texted me one morning and you're like, Ben, a lot of stuff happened last night. I'm going by snake bite from now on. You I would be like, me- are you sure? And if you're sure, then I got your back. You've given me a lot to think about, Ben. Um, but yeah, it's definitely true. It's definitely a fair comparison. So he's the perfect kind of subterfuge for all this middle of nowhere nautical diddling that you described earlier, Ben. Um, he launched a company or at least the lion's share of the actual work building this vessel uh, came from a group called the Global Marine Development Inc. I'm sorry, that was a real company. It had nothing to do with Hughes. The company was given the job of building this vessel called the Hughes Glomar Explorer. What's a Glomar? That sounds like some sort of, it makes me think of like luminous rocks and like Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. What is a Glomar? Yeah, Glomar is, I I wish it were, uh, I wish it was based on what you were describing, but instead it's just sort of a portmanteau of Global Marine. Glomar. Like yeah. Globochem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Glomar, the Hughes Glomar Explorer, is weird. Because remember how he said the halibut feels like sort of a pedestrian name for a powerful submarine? It's something you could underestimate. That's what they want to do with the Glomar Explorer. It's built to look like kind of average for a state-of-the-art system. Uh, It's supposed to look like a a mining vessel while secretly being a submarine retrieval vessel. And this made me think of, uh, do you remember those old mask toys? You know what I'm talking about? Mask like like the the future cops? Oh, well, they looked like, uh, they, they were sold as like these vehicles that would look like regular toys. If you just search mass. No, no, yeah, toys, that's what I'm saying, but they were like they were yeah. sort of like cops. They were sort of like well no, there's also a cartoon in that same era called Cops that was like an acronym and they were like future weird cyber cops. But if I'm not mistaken, Mask was some sort of paramilitary crime fighting force and it was they, very they all, uh Transformers <laughs> adjacent. It was it was kind of like right. faux Transformers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the era of uh, this is the era of those eighties, nineties toys that were all weirdly militarized. You know, you had cops, you had, uh, and they all had like acronyms. Sometimes uh, there was GI Joe, of course, which is much older, and mask. So look up mask toys if you want to get a sense of the idea of this subterfuge. Uh, man, I wish I still had those. Let's talk about this Glomar thing. So it sets sail in June of 1974, and it carries this claw that has two names. Its official name, or this series of claws, their official name is Capture Vehicle, but the crew and the project officials, yeah, they call it Clementine. I would have called it maybe Dr. Claw for sticking with like uh, that uh, Saturday morning cartoon theme. Yeah, we're Uh, just funnier, though. Clementine's you know, just cute. Naming Clementine's cute, though. It's it's a cute name for a big scary claw. Uh, so I, I I I get it. I get it. Yeah, and th- here's their idea. So just as Kissinger and Laird and Nixon had decided, this series of claws, this claw mechanism, would dive down and it would pick up the sub and it would take it into what's called a moon pool. This is a submerged area within the Glomar that would allow them to just bring the sub directly inside the vessel. And the entire thing would take place underwater. So you couldn't see what was happening from say a satellite or a spy plane. And they would use something that oil drilling rigs will do. It's a technique or a thing called a pipe string. So you've got a bunch of segments of long pipe 
In this case, they're made out of something called Maraging Steel, M-A-R-A-G-I-N-G. And that'll be important later. So you take these pipes, you would attach these like claw segments to the very end. You would feed them down this hole in the center of the ship. And then you would attach another length of pipe and then another and another and another until you got down to where the ship was. You would clamp on like Clementine claw the sub. And then you would pull it up. And as you would pull it up, you would disassemble these sections of the pipe. It's pretty ingenious. It's a cool idea. It's called Project Azorian. <laughs> hey, we got there. We got, we there. got there. Take uh, a second. Can I add just really quickly, another name for a moon pool, I, just, I love the moon pool idea, uh, is a wet porch. <laughs> wet porch? A wet porch. Love yes. it. Yeah. yeah. Love it. So <laughs> wet porch, the mudroom of the sea. 100%. Uh, yeah. So this operation, Azorian, starts in 1974, July 4th. Uh, it takes about, it takes a little over a month. And to this day, a lot of it is still classified. So we don't know a ton about this heist, about the details. But we do know, and as fellow cinephiles, uh, I thought, no, you and Paul would really enjoy this. This feels cinematic to me. During this project, during this month plus project, two Soviet ships actually happen across the Glomar. They visit it and they don't know that their missing submarine, which has been missing for years now, is right under their nose. Or do they? Because after the Soviet Union falls, the public learns that uh, Soviet intelligence officials had received a tip-off. Someone, probably on the U.S. side, had leaked the information out out of the boat of secrecy and said, hey, there's a uh, salvage operation going on you guys might be interested in, but this might have been dismissed as noise or just rumors or even like false intel because everybody up to this point had thought that it was impossible to get a sub from these depths. And whatever the case may be, however much the Soviets knew, the operation did meet a speed bump, a sub bump. because. For the people who thought it was impossible to do this on the Soviet side, kind of turns out they were right. Yeah, according to some eyewitnesses uh, that were interviewed later, uh, several of the claws fractured after they grabbed the K-129, meaning that the sub itself was actually all banged up. About two-thirds of it fell back into the sea. So they, they didn't even get the whole they didn't even get the whole thing. Um experts believe that the claws may have broken because of the steel they were made from. What was that steel called? Ad- adamantium? No, it wasn't that one. Man- <laughs> Marigene steel. Marigene steel. Okay. I don't know. Something about Marigene just doesn't doesn't fill me with uh, confidence. I don't know why. It should have gone with like a should have gone with like a more sci fi grade steel. Um but there's a reason. Marigene steel, it is strong. But it's not super flexible huh? and ductile. Right. So therefore, um, if its weight is exceeded or if it's strained too much, certain or like you know, ocean points, currents. Yep. It breaks. Yeah. So they end up with, with about a third of the sub. And this is for uh, for a day to day life comparison. Something like this has happened to a lot of people in the audience today. You know, imagine you're you're slicing a cake and you've got a little triangle 
instrument that people use to lift a slice of cake and you lift an extra big slice of cake and then part of it starts to fall and ah, boom, it's, I am thinking of cakes because even though the spelling is different, marriaging steel makes you think of weddings. So this third of the sub that they do get, it's about 12 meters long, a little bit less than 40 feet here in the U.S. Uh, it's believed that this part did actually contain what the U.S. and the CIA were looking for, nuclear weapons and maybe some Soviet code books. And, you know, this is maybe obvious, but I just wanted to, to backtrack a little bit to what you said earlier. I mean, the, the U.S. is doing this under the nose of the Soviet. The Soviets have declared this ship lost uh, and they're, you know, for all intents and purposes, not looking for it anymore. So if they had any inkling that the U.S. was anywhere close to finding any of their secret codes or what have you, they would just change them all, right? I mean, it would be a lost cause. So it was very crucial that the level of secrecy remain, hence all the, you know, cloak and dagger and cover story and the Howard Hughes of it all, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and we're going to run into some questions with that stuff, too, toward the end here. Uh, this wasn't the only thing they found. There was something else very grisly and tragic that they found, and they were prepared for it. Officially, the story goes, along with those weapons, along with those possible code books, they recovered the cadavers, the bodies of six Soviet Navy members, and these these individuals were buried at sea in a during a memorial service, and they were buried in metal coffins because the Americans were worried that there would be possible radioactive contamination. And you can actually see the service that they conducted online. They had both countries, anthems played. They did the memorial service in both Russian and English. Um, and, it, and the reason that footage is there is because it turns out that the entirety of Project Azorian was filmed by the CIA. Most of the majority of that footage is classified today. But after the fall of the USSR, the Americans sent the clip of that memorial service to the Russians who eventually related to the families and the surviving relatives of those people who passed away. So all of this actually happened. But how do we know about it today? How do we, being um, people without high-level security clearance, people who aren't in the company right now, how do we know? Uh, we know about it because a good journalist. That's right. We almost didn't know about it. The government stopped, uh, as it can from time to time do, the, the New York Times from reporting on the subject, but the LA Times um, decided to you know, just go for it, and they went public. Uh, the Soviet Union um, actually did not make an official response at all. And I can see why. It's sort of embarrassing, right, for them? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding, especially since they sent those two other ships over. And I love the point made there, Noel, because it's something we need to acknowledge more openly. Uh, the U.S. government can exert control over media, and they did so in this case. And the L.A. Times uh, – deserves a, a lot of kudos for bucking that trend. But it's also with the Soviet response, you know, we can only imagine what went on behind the scenes. Like how many people were fired? How many people got shipped off somewhere? That's uh, one of my questions. And then now we're getting to questions. So later examinations of Project Azorian have called aspects of this story into question. That's right. 
folks, there are conspiracy theories about this proven conspiracy. So picture exhibit saying, I heard you like conspiracies. So we put some conspiracies in your conspiracies. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. 
It's so easy to think, it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, conspiracies abound, don't they, Ben? Yeah, that's right. There are conspiracies about this conspiracy or conspiracy theories about this conspiracy. K129, this is very interesting to me. K129 was only one victim of a submarine massacre that occurred. All in all, in 1968, there were not one, but four different submarines that disappeared. In one year, there was the INS Dakar, which was an Israeli sub, the Minerva, which was a French sub, and the USS Scorpion, which was a US sub. At the very least, I don't know what this means. I'm not saying they're all related, but it was at the very least a terrible year to serve on a submarine. And like you and I have been alluding to gently over the course of this episode, not everyone believes the official version of the conspiracy surrounding the K-129. In fact, folks think that the Americans were after something else, not just nuclear weapons, not just codes. But what what would they be doing down there? Well, uh, that was the big question, and it was big enough that it actually went to court, uh, military court. The Military Audit Project uh, led a lawsuit suggesting that the mission to steal a Soviet sub was, in fact, a cover story for another even more secretive mission. It seems like a stretch. Isn't this secretive enough? Do we really need another layer to these Russian nesting dolls uh, <laughs> yeah. of, of, of conspiracy? I just, uh, come on. Can't you just be satisfied, conspiracy people? What um, would they have done? I don't well, know. I mean, it's I already secretive enough, right? It's, it's already high doubly, weirdly, extra, you know, double plus secret. Um, I just don't know what it could have possibly been, but yeah, well, some of the, some of the proposed true goals were things like, uh, oh, they're not really recovering the submarine at all. Instead, they're tapping undersea communication lines, which is a real thing that happens. Uh, there was operation Ivy bells, I believe it's called, uh, where the US did that. they were yeah, making a different. pact with Cthulhu. Ah, yes. That's why I put the Cthulhu in there because I, let's take it a step further. What I like is the idea that uh, maybe some Lovecraftian eldritch monster from the deep didn't all the way wake up, but like rolled over in its sleep. And for those four subs that disappeared were trying to fight it. Maybe they put it back to sleep. Maybe there was a nuclear incident. Um, I think our theory is pretty cool. Pretty solid. Uh, but other th- Other theories include the idea that the U.S. government was installing underwater missile silos or repairing parts of that oceanic surveillance system, the hydrophone. And just to be fair, I mean, underwater missile silos are a thing. That's not just the stuff of Bond films, right? Well, that's that's a question, you know, so there are a lot of 
underground missile silos, but they're decommissioned. I I don't know if they're if they were purposely built undersea missile silos. So Looks here's like my a no. Question. Looks like a no. Yeah. From, well, from that's the, I mean, the question. Just, just like, from from a cursory Google. Uh, yeah. Is even like the first the first headline is why doesn't the U.S. build missile silos underwater? Well, I mean, would they need why don't to you ask him? I don't know. I just I, I for some reason in my mind, I'm picturing some moment from some movie where rockets emerge from under the sea. Well, couldn't that come from a submarine though? Because those are like movable underwater missile silos. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know? Why lock yourself down in one location? Makes it a lot more easy to find and destroy your infrastructure, right? By the end. Yeah. Maybe I'm a free spirit, you know? <laughs> but the uh maybe the juiciest theory is this, and this has like shades of hunt for red October. It's the idea that the K one two nine was a victim of mutiny. Uh, and here's the pitch. So rogue KGB agents try to take over the sub and disguise themselves as a Chinese Navy vessel. They launch nuclear weapons in hope of sparking a war between China and the United States. This sounds a little Rube Goldberg-esque, but it's you know false flag thing. This comes from a book in 2005 called Red Star Rogue by Kenneth Sewell and Clint Richmond. Now that's like a fiction book, right, Ben? No, they think it actually happened. Really? Now, that's their argument, but it it doesn't seem to hold much water, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, that's good. Good nautical uh, pun. Um, oh, so, yeah. yeah. What well, well, what would you do to disguise yourself as a Chinese Navy vessel? I mean, wouldn't they have different types of crafts? Would it be as simple as just like flying a Chinese flag? I don't. Yeah, I. The details on that are scant. Um, I I believe that they have they have what they feel is backing evidence in Red Star Rogue, um, but there are a couple of signals you could change uh, or call signs or if you had access to codes that you knew the U.S. or Chinese intelligence forces knew, then you could try to, you know, you could try to pull the old Star Wars thing like it's an old code, but it checks out kind of move. Uh, to be fair, we've talked a lot about the U.S. perspective. We haven't talked about the Russian perspective. Russian historians don't agree with these ideas. They have their own theory which is um, pretty widely accepted in Russia, from what I understand. They say that the K-129 sank because another sub ran into it, an American submarine called the USS Swordfish, which is a better name than Halibut. Yeah, at least <laughs> they, it's got like a built-in weapon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, the U.S. has never really acknowledged this theory, uh, but if you look at the accounts from the U.S. Navy, from the swordfish, they do acknowledge that swordfish took some damage uh, during the same time, but they say it was damaged in the Sea of Japan, about 2,000 miles away. The swordfish did have an internal explosion, but that wasn't until October of 1985. So there are a couple, there are varying groups who have varying explanations for what actually happened, uh, both when the Soviet sub K-129 wrecked and when it was retrieved. But we wanted to end on a fun fact. So this Glomar. My favorite. My favorite. Yeah, this is my favorite too. Glomar, not, not the coolest name, but 
when this became public, when the LA Times brings the story out and people are asking more and more questions in the press and in, you know, what they call it dinner tables across, across uh, hometown America, Main Street America, the officials of the time are in a really dicey position because they're getting asked questions they literally can't answer because if they feel like if they say anything about it, they're going to compromise themselves or they might accidentally start World War III, which is not a good look. So they came up with the most Matrix Dodge beige non-answer possible in the English language. No, what do, what do they say when someone's like, hey, can you tell us about that time you stole a sub? I mean, it's sort of like the supercharged, like, you know, uh, ultra version of no comment. It is, we can neither confirm nor deny. And I'm sure there's a reason legally why that's somehow better than no comment. Um, <laughs> but it, it accomplishes about the same thing, right? Right, right. Yeah, this Maybe, is, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I know you are, but what am I? I mean, it's It's up there with when people tag, just saying. Just saying. Yeah, but uh, but so this phrase, we can neither confirm nor deny. For those in the know, it is often called the Glomar response because it came from this situation. And other intelligence agencies picked up on this, not just in the U.S., but across the world. Other governments picked up on this. You could still hear it today. And don't be afraid to point it out when you do, because here's what it means. When someone says, we can neither confirm nor deny what they're really saying is they do not want to be quoted at all in any substantive way. And when they say that, they're usually not concerned about the person asking the question, you know, whether it's from like Al Jazeera or Fox or MSNBC or, you know, CNN Singapore, whatever. They're worried about who is listening in the shadows. Of course. And, right. And right now, it's 2022. And right now, no one in the public sphere, knows exactly what happened to that one third of the ship that they picked up. Uh, no one knows what happened to, no one knows what was in the two thirds of the ship that sank back down. I bet it's and in a no, secret museum. That's my, yeah. Yeah. yeah good call. Good callback. Yeah. I would love for it to be in a secret museum. Uh, we also don't know what happened to the uh, Soviet nukes that were retrieved. That's crazy. There are a lot of unanswered questions, conspiracies and conspiracies and conspiracies. And we probably won't know the answers to these conclusively unless there is a huge push toward transparency. But for now, I mean, no, we have to ask our fellow conspiracy realists, like, what do you think, folks? Do you believe the official story? Uh, what are other examples of covered up operations? What did the CIA say to Howard Hughes? to get him to go along, like to get him to be their sort of PR puppet. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. What could you offer that guy? He's a billionaire. What does he need? More mason jars. More mason jars. Fewer nail clippers in homes across America. Uh, bigger and bigger and bigger planes. Well, let us know. We can't wait to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed Today's episode, thank you as always for tuning in. We can't wait to hear your take, folks, especially uh, our veterans out there and folks who have uh, served on a submarine. Uh, tell us what's on your mind. We try to be easy to find online. Yeah. Let us know. Have you ever casually dropped? You can neither confirm nor deny something in conversation at a party. That is a serious power move, my friends. Let us know. We're all over the Internet. You can find us on Twitter, 
Facebook, and YouTube under the handle Conspiracy Stuff. We're at Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Ben, where else can they find us? Uh, maybe outside of the uh, weird toxic bubble that is the internet. Ah, that's right. Yes. If you have uh, cut the cord of social media, you no longer sip the social meads, but you have a story to share with us, you can always call us. We have a phone number. We are one 833 stdwytk You'll get a message telling you you're in the right place. You'll have three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Go nuts. Uh, give us a name that you want to go by. And it can be a cool nickname. It doesn't have to be your real name. Let us know what's on your mind. Second, most importantly, let us know whether or not we can use your name and or message on the air. Most importantly, don't censor yourself. If you have a story that needs more than three minutes, don't feel like you have to call 10 times. Uh, all you need to do is write it up, send us ancillary links, send us pictures, send us whatever is on your mind in text. And we read every email we get. Just drop us a line, folks. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.